0: Once again, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers and those who are joining us online, and we're glad to have you here. Um, There was a few years ago where Forbes magazine actually asked the question, how do you put a price on motherhood? So, of course, being Forbes magazine, they tried to figure that out. So they did a survey with a group called salary.com of what they would come up with is the annual um, salary of all the work that a mom does. So they broke it down into 10 areas. And those 10 areas were daycare center teacher, CEO, psychologist, cook, housekeeper, laundry machine operator, computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, and personal driver. And they studied how many hours mom work, moms work in all of these 10 categories and what they would have to pay to outsource all those different uh, categories. <clears throat> and so they came up with, now this is several years ago, they came up with the average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary of 112,962,000 dollars a year based on a 40-hour-a-week base pay plus 54.7 hours a week of overtime. The average working mom should make an, a, an annual salary just for her mom role of sixty six thousand nine hundred sixty nine dollars, based on forty hours of mothering duties and seventeen point nine overtime hours as well. So, as we hear those kind of things, moms, you go, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do, right? You know, dads going, what they do that stuff? You know, that's what they do. But the article concludes that the breadth of mom's responsibility is beyond what most workers could ever experience day to day. And imagine if you had to attract and retain a candidate to fill all of those roles. That would be very difficult. Well, there was a story I read a few years ago about a woman named Mary Thomas who lived in Chicago on a really rough side of town in their west side in She had nine children as a single mom. Can you imagine? Nine children as a single mom. And seven of her boys were, uh, seven of them were boys, and they were constantly, as you can imagine, stretching the boundaries of their mother's tired authority and patience. And one day, as she opened her front door, there was about a group of about 20 to 25 gang members outside of, of, of their apartment. And they were there because they knew that she had seven young sons, and they were there to recruit her sons to their gang. She was a little nervous about this, and she said, well, hold on just a minute, and she went back into the house. And she returned, and the first thing the, the uh, gang saw was the barrel of a loaded shotgun. And she <laughs> said, there's only one gang around here, and that's called the Thomas Gang, so y'all can be on your way. Well, Mary Thomas continued her intensity as a mother and was able to usher each of her nine gang members to high school graduation. And you probably have heard of one of her uh, kids. Her youngest son was pro basketball player and Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas. But when I think about that story, it's inspiring that a single mom by herself was able to raise nine kids. That just blows my mind. And you think about how hard it must have been in that situation in a rough side of town with gangs all around that were constantly trying to recruit her sons and, and all these different things that, that were out there for her kids to get in trouble. But she didn't give up. She didn't just say, what do you do? This is where I live. This is what the environment is we live in. But if Mary Thomas's sons had become members of one of these gangs, who would have blamed her? You would have just said, well, she was up against these seemingly insurmountable odds. How, what was she supposed to do? It'd be very difficult. But today I want us to look at probably my favorite mom in the whole Bible. And we don't even know her name. There's people in the Bible that we hear about, and we never know their name, but we certainly know and remember their stories. And this story is from Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 28. And hopefully this will be may be familiar, but if not, like I say, I always love it when people hear a Bible story for the very first time. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out, after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed At that moment. Now, this woman, we don't know her name, but this mother, she didn't get a knock at her door that an evil spirit was trying to recruit her daughter. I don't even, I can't even imagine how that happens, but her daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, a demon. Now, most of us can't even really comprehend that. We think, well, that was something that happened in those days, but that doesn't happen anymore. But I'm telling you, yeah, I heard somebody say, yes, it does. I was in Haiti a few years ago, and I saw something that convinced me that that's for real. And I've seen some things, and y'all have probably seen some things that that is real. I don't understand that, but there's a, a world of evil out there that can possess people. And this lady, can you imagine how scared and helpless she must have felt? The question I've always had about this particular passage is, where was Dad? Where was dad in all of this? Why wasn't he there on his knees begging Jesus to help his daughter? I don't know. I can't answer that. But we do know she came by herself. Now we know that this woman had very difficult odds in coming to Jesus. Now when we hear Canaanite woman, we might just gloss over that, but in this culture for for centuries the Canaanites were an enemy of the Jews. They knew about the Canaanites. Remember when they left Egypt and went into the promised land, the land of Canaan, they were taking over these folks' land, at least some of it. And the Canaanites worshipped many gods, and they were known for child sacrifice, which was abhorrent to the Jews. And so when they heard Canaanite, those are the people who sacrificed their kids. Now, obviously, they didn't sacrifice all their kids, or they would have went away at some point. But that was known practice. And so those people were abhorrent. Whenever you saw one, oh, there's the people that worship those gods and they sacrifice their children. So she's coming as a Canaanite woman, knowing that that's what people think of her, especially Jews. And she's a Gentile woman coming to a Jewish man in public. You don't do that in this culture. A Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman asking a Jewish rabbi to do an exorcism on her child. You just don't do that in that culture. Drawing attention to her, her daughter, and her family and admitting something like this could cause further damaging and alienation of their family in their their neighborhood, and their culture. Think about that. Stay away from that lady. She's got a demon-possessed child. We don't want them in our neighborhood. All of these kind of things. And she had to be thinking, what if Jesus ignores me. What if he doesn't heal my daughter? What if I don't get even some compassion or cooperation from him? What will I do? But she didn't have any other resource. She doesn't seem to have been phased by these obstacles at all because she was desperate. She certainly had thought about the possibility of these different reactions of the people that heard what was going on and all these different people that were there that day. But her hope was in Jesus would hear her, Jesus would listen to her, and Jesus would respond to her by healing her daughter. And she addressed Jesus in a desperate but respectful manner. She called him, if you notice, son of David. She knew that's what a lot of the Jews thought Jesus was the son of David. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior to come. And asking for mercy as her daughter was suffering terribly from this demon possession. But Jesus doesn't respond immediately, does he? He had to have heard her crying out to him, but he doesn't respond. He says he's quiet. And this seemed to have made the disciples and those around very uncomfortable. So they finally strongly advised Jesus, send her away. Send her away since she's so persistent. Why are they so ready to get rid of her? And they had seen Jesus heal others from demon possession. Even some of the disciples had been part of that. Maybe even healing or driving out a demon that Jesus gave them the power to do that. So why is it that they're ready just to get rid of her? And notice, they're not saying, just go ahead and heal her and get rid of her. They're just saying, get rid of her. Not heal her daughter. Because, you know, those people don't deserve to have their kids healed. They're not really human. They're some kind of subhuman. They're not like us. We're above them. And so instead of sending her away, Jesus, after he's silent for a while with this uncomfortable silence, he engages her in a conversation. And again, this is in a public setting, and it's counterculture, and it forces all to take note. Oh, wait a minute, he is going to talk to her. What is he doing? And the disciples are used to this by now. Jesus always does something counterculture, but Jesus tells her that he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and you're like, ugh. Oh. And I believe he was using the situation as a teaching moment for his disciples and, and any of those who were listening in on this whole scenario that day. But he's making clear that she understands that his mission was first to Israel. But Jesus has shown his power to Gentiles. She's known this. She's heard this. At Jesus' response to this, the mother comes. She doesn't give up. She goes, oh, I didn't think about that. I guess I'll go now. No, she goes and it says she got on her knees. She fell at Jesus' feet and she said, Lord, help me. Have you ever said that? Moms, have you ever said that? Lord, help me? You have. Because you know, I don't know what else to do at this point. In humility and desperation, she's basically saying, I got nothing but you, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I've got. I've got nothing else. And then Jesus says something even more strongly than before, relating his mission to Israel as the priority, and he says this. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. And you go, what did you just say, Jesus? I mean, this is insensitive at best, and it's absolutely insulting at worst, referring to this woman and her daughter, who's demon-possessed as dogs, and they shouldn't even have the bread from the table of Israel. What kind of comment is that, Jesus? But it seemed that Jesus was trying to see what kind of faith this mother had. And even deeper than that, I think Jesus was baiting his disciples and those around. This is the way you treat people. Are you you okay with that? I'm treating her just like y'all treat her all the time. Does that feel good? and everybody's uncomfortable. And that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He wanted us to feel uncomfortable in the way we say one thing, oh yeah, we love God, but we treat people who were images of God in a totally different way. There's a disconnect there. And I think Jesus wants everybody to feel that disconnect. If she's offended, she sure does not show it, does she? She does not stop with her intensity of a mother on a mission to save her child. She quickly responded by saying, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She has no problem saying that. I'm very aware, Jesus, of what... The Jewish people think of me, even your disciples, it's obvious how they're looking at me, how they're acting to me, how they wanted to just get me away without you even having the opportunity to heal my daughter. You think I don't feel that? I feel that. I know that. It's obvious, but I don't care. I'm not offended table. She knows who Jesus is, doesn't she? She understands who He is. Jesus is so impressed with her faith that He grants her request and heals her daughter that very hour. What do you know? Jesus does care about Gentiles and Canaanites. He really does. Now, how many mothers have gone through what this woman did for her child? Now, I don't know. I know we joke about our kids are demon-possessed, but this was way different than that. Way different than that. But all mothers have gone through times where your faith has been tested with your child, haven't you? All of you, some of you are going through that right now. Some of you have no idea what might happen in the future, right? Because I can tell you, you never stop being a mom, do you? Even when they're older, these things happen. I I hear it all the time in in my job here. So how would you respond if Jesus, if you were in that setting at that time, or, or if Jesus was alive today in our setting, and you had this desperate thing that was going on with your child, maybe not demon possession, but something that only you had tried everything, and you were desperate, and you were coming to Jesus for healing, whether it was a a physical thing, a spiritual thing, or an emotional thing, you came to Jesus, and you make your request, and Jesus just kind of ignores you. How would you feel as a mom? What if he took his time and then simply pointed out that that's just the way it is. There's a lot of kids that are going through that, ma'am. Your kid isn't the only one. And I was sent to people that are a little higher on the priority list than you are. Could you imagine your response as a mom? Or referring to you or, or your kid as a dog. Could you imagine how that would feel? But the mom in Matthew's Store did not care about the social and cultural things that were going on in her world, did she? That was secondary. I don't care about any of that. I just want my daughter whole again. I can't imagine what she experienced having a demon-possessed daughter. But in our culture, in that culture, she didn't care about any of that social stuff. But in our culture, things are absolutely reversed, y'all. And I want y'all to hear this clearly today. We tend to ignore the spiritual issues in our culture. And we focus on the social ones, don't we? The social ones are top priority for us. And I would even say they're possessing or at least have the potential to possess our children all around us. And they are. And our culture seems not only to be okay with these issues that possess our children, but we actually encourage it. And here's what I'm talking about. What are you talking about? Things that possess our kids. How about the possession of success that possesses some of our kids? I have to be successful or my parents aren't going to love me. I've got to be successful or the world will think I'm a loser. And that possesses some kids. And that's why they're depressed and have anxiety. I have to get good grades. I have to be a, a sports star or a, 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 you know, whatever it is, the activity. I have to be the, uh, you know, the debate champion. Whatever it is, if I'm not, then I'm a loser. And they're possessed by this success that the world and our culture says is so important. How about the possession of their appearance? What we look like, looking right, dressing right, making sure that every event and every picture is posted of you and your kids and it looks like, look at us, we're the perfect family. Here we are here, here we are here. How about the possession of relevancy, accepting anything and everything that comes along in culture so we can be relevant? Even when it's things we know are clearly against godly, Christian, biblical values. But we just say, oh yeah, that's okay. That's cool because, you know, we should love everybody. Don't judge. How about identity issues? When a kid is confused or struggling with who they are. As most kids are, right? They need people to come around them and love them and remind them of whose they are in Christ. They have a creator who has created them since the beginning of time and created good works for them to do. That's why they're here. That gives them a purpose and a meaning. And instead, you know this is true. Our states and this United States are battling over whether we allow the distortion of truth and reality and encourage and provide access for Kids. Kids. Kids who can't make good decisions on their own without their parents' access. It's okay. We're going to do this little experiment on you. And your parents don't have to know. Man, what in the world? What in the world? And here's the bad thing. This experiment, and it is an experiment because it's hormonal. It's medical. And we're going to let them have this little experiment because they feel like this at the time. And down the road, God knows what's going to happen to their bodies physically. What's going to happen to them emotionally and socially and spiritually down the road. You think you got a problem now about who you are? Wait till down the road. And it's scary, isn't it? It's scary. How about being possessed by social media? Oh, you're just an old man, Craig. (laughs) Grumpy old man. But we're obsessed and consumed with what's out there. We can't miss it, and I have to respond immediately every time a ding. Oh, 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 oh. If I don't respond, consuming literally hundreds of images and messages every day, and we're blind to that potential demon, so it continues to possess our our time and their time and attention, incessantly making us socially and spiritually weak. We have to respond to every post, or someone's going to be mad and think I didn't like their post. Or they defriended me. Oh no, what do I do? We laugh, but it's it's not just kids, it's parents. Well, what does this all do to our minds and our souls? It's no wonder that kids struggle with anxiety and depression. So kids' brains are still functioning. Y'all have read these, these things. They're still functioning. They're not completely Where they need to be yet. And when they see images, hundreds of images as they scroll, scroll, scroll. What do they see every day? They see kids that are more talented than them. They see kids that are cooler than them. They see kids who have more stuff than them. And they look at themselves and say, I'm a loser. I need to get more likes. I need to do something so my TikToks will be liked and and I'll be cool. Or they see images of... Of things and subjects that their young minds are not possibly ready to process in a mature manner, And some of them they never need to see or process. Again, you can say I'm an old man. But what does that do to our minds and our souls? Social media may not be a problem for you and your child yet. But we need to be aware of these things that are going on in our social world. But when you do think of something possessing your child what do you want that to be? Do you want it to be their phone, really? Is that what you really want your kid to be possessed by? I'm embarrassed to say that my kids are possessed by their phones way more than I'd like them to be. And I think probably a lot of us feel that same way. Moms and grandmothers, your child's spiritual life should be first priority in their life, not their social life. Not that social life's not important, but it should not be the primary thing. What they need is the truth of God's Word to guide them and raise them, not a a smartphone and Snapchat or TikTok account. You see, we worry that we're not significant or that we won't have what we need. And I get that. You hear about our world, right? I mean, there's sabers rattling all over the world, world powers. And we think about what's Russia and, and Ukraine and all that, and we, we hear about China and North Korea and, and anybody that's got uh, a loved one in the military, you're like, "Uh!" Oh. And we see the, the market going up and down in recession. And no wonder kids go, "What's the future going to be?" And they think about and worry about these things. But Jesus, in that culture that he lived in, guess what? It was like this too. And they were being possessed by the world power at the time. They didn't have really their own rights. They had a lot of freedoms that they did not have, or they were constantly being watched. And in that culture, Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, He acknowledged, every day has enough worries of, it o- of its own. But don't worry about what you eat and what you'll drink and what you will wear. He says, the pagans, the people who have no belief in God, they run around and worry about all those things. But He says... Your heavenly Father knows that you need those things. He's not unaware. But what does He say to him? And what does He say to us? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Well, that's great, Craig. So I'm just supposed to tell my teenager, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you, dear. Now, we laugh, but how do you... Tell them that truth. Man, that is a solid biblical truth right there. But how do you get a young person to believe that? How do you as a mother, a grandmother, as a parent, instill biblical and Christian values into your kid? Well, I bring them to church. Isn't that Alex's job or our children's ministry or your job as the preacher? Well, guess what? I can't compete with this eight hours a day. I can't. You can't. It's very difficult Moms need to be about the business of intensely teaching your kids to be possessed by Jesus. And we need to do it with the same intensity that this Canaanite woman did when she was trying to find healing for her daughter. That same intensity moms need to have, and I know a lot of y'all have that, but you've got to pray for them. I can't say that enough. Pray for them. Your personal Bible knowledge and study needs to be important in your life. They need to see that. If you don't know God's values and you don't know about God's kingdom, how are they going to know about it? Talk about the cultural issues of the day with your kids. Challenge them when they come home with one of these. uh, Believe me, I have these conversations and they're not fun. Hey, did you see this TikTok thing? I said, seriously? Do you know what that person's saying? Have y'all had these conversations? I'm sure you do. I said, you do understand what they're saying. Do you see how Biblical values which you were raised with and what this person is saying on TikTok are two completely different things. I remember my oldest daughter having to vote in the last election. And I did it seriously, but she was trying to get my thoughts. And we were talking about these issues. And I was like, "What? where did you get that? Because we didn't teach you that. But yeah, I just think, and we're talking about the different issues. And the first thing I said to her, I am so sorry that out of this wonderful, amazing nation of people that we live in, these are the two people you have to choose from. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I really said that. Sorry if that offends anybody. But I was just, I felt for her. It's like, surely there's somebody better. But that's who we had. I said, so you've got to go in there eventually and you've got to pull the well, it's not pull the thing, it's what do you punch the thing, touch the touch screen for somebody. But you need to understand that. If you really are a follower of Jesus, there's certain values you have to try to vote on those values. And that's hard, isn't it? But we need to talk to these things about our kids. Go, oh, you're on your own. Good luck with that. And so I, I have these conversations with my kids, and it's not easy. And sometimes I wonder if I'm getting through to them. But we need to model values in every aspect of our life, how we do finances, how we treat others, even the little things during the day, that's where they're picking up their values from us, moms. And we need to know to show kindness and grace and compassion. That's ultimately how lives are transformed. And that's how Jesus did it. A lot of y'all have heard of John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church. And I'm sure he didn't do that alone, but he's recognized. Did you know that his mother had 19 children? <laughs> 19 children! And as a young man, Wesley asked his mom one day, Mom, define sin for me. And I'm thinking, how does a mom with 19 kids have time to go, Oh, hold on a second. But this is, in a letter she wrote it to her son. This is what she said. Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin in you, however innocent it may be in itself. How does a mom with 19 kids come up with that? I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, me, I was like, anything that you do that hurts yourself for God, that's kind of as good as I would come up with. But listen, whatever weakens your reason... Impairs the tenderness of your conscience. Obscures your sense of God. Increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind. And when I read that line, I'm thinking, how about every commercial body over your mind is sent to you? Did that sound judgmental? I didn't see any judgmental thing in that definition. It was just, this is the way it is, son. You need to be aware of what's going on. However innocent it may seem. if that impairs you from being who God's called you to be its sin. Some of you may have heard of the African-American pastor E.V. Hill who was the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles um, till the day he died. But he tells a story of, of his mama's love and prayers that changed his life and it really wasn't even his biological mom. He said during the height of the depression his real mother had five children and didn't have enough food to go around so she sent him at four years old, to live with a friend in a small um, county called Sweet Home. And Ed just called this lady who took him in, Mama. That's what he called her. And, she was, and as he was growing up in Sweet Home, she display, displayed this remarkable faith, which led to big plans for him. And he always saw her praying, and, he was, and she was always telling him, I'm praying for you, Ed. You know I'm praying for you. I'm always praying for you. And he didn't quite understand that as a child, but he saw it and heard her say it all the time. And against nearly insurmountable obstacles at this time and in this culture, Mama helped Ed graduate from high school. And he was the only graduate in that country school in that year. Can you imagine? The only graduate. And even had the opportunity to go to college because she insisted, No, you're not going to stop there. You're going to college. So she took Ed to the bus station, handed him—and and please understand, this is probably during the Depression. So when you hear this amount, you're going to go, "What?" She handed him the ticket and five dollars and said, "Now go off to Prairie View College, and Mama is going to be praying for you." And Hill claims that he didn't know much about prayer, but he knew that Mama did. And when he arrived at the college with a dollar and ninety cents left in his pocket. They told him he needed $80 in cash in order to register, and here's how he described as he's waiting in line to pay $80 with a $1.90 in his pocket. He says, I got in line, and the devil said, get out of line, but I heard mama saying in my ear, I'm praying for you. I stood in line on mama's prayer. Soon there was another new student ahead of me, and I began to get nervous, but I stayed in line. Just about the time the other student got all her stuff and turned away, Dr. Drew touched me on the shoulder, and he says, Are you Ed Hill? I said, Yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? Yes. Have you paid yet? (laughs) Not quite. We've been looking for you all this morning. And I said, Well, what do you want with me? We have a four-year scholarship that will pay your room and board your tuition and give you $30 a month to spend. And I heard Mama say, I'll be praying for you. That was a mama who believed and she prayed. And you realize that E.V. Hill ended up being a preacher, went to Los Angeles, and he preached in that Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church for 42 years until the day he died in 2003. Boy, mama's prayers made a little bit of dent in his life, didn't they? So moms, you will will never get the pay you deserve for all the things you do as, as a mom, but encouraging And seeing your child develop into the person that God created them to be is priceless, isn't it? And it takes everybody. It takes, as we said this morning, to these young families. You can't do it by yourself. I'll just raise my hand and say, I'm thankful for all the mamas in the church that helped raise me over the years. Anybody else want to raise your hand on that one? Thank you. Thank you. Because it takes a lot of mamas to raise some of us, doesn't it? And I'm thankful for that. But this morning, we want to offer an invitation to maybe somebody that needs to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're tired of all the, the social stuff. After a while, the social, try to keep up socially, we realize what, what a joke that is. We are who we are, and God's called us to something bigger. So maybe you need to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, and we're, we're really excited. I know the one that's coming this morning, I'm very excited about that. There may be somebody else, and... We also offer the opportunity to join our church as a as a Christian community, and we are certainly not perfect. We have our demon possession at times, you know. We have our things, but as a community, we try to come together and keep those biblical, godly values that God clearly gives us in His Word to, to live our lives by those. So if you have that decision, we're going to offer that invitation.